some people don't want to listen. Most, most people are good. I've had to speak sternly to a few people, throwing one customer out of the restaurant. You know, if you're gonna, if you're gonna, if you're not gonna listen and you're gonna be rude to my staff, then I, I just, there's the door. Don't let it hit you on the way out. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Singapore was a COVID-19 success story. It got on top of the wave and forged forward. With Melbourne in the throes of a second lockdown, what light can the Singapore experience shed on our own circumstances? And what has the impact been on the local hospitality industry? Darren Farr is the owner of The Local in Singapore. Darren, how are you going? Good, mate. Thank you for having me. Well, thanks for joining us. We're really quite interested to see what life's been like in Singapore. It's certainly um, led the charge in trying to get in top of, on top of the, the virus. What, what's it been like the last six months there for you? Um, it's certainly been interesting, that's for sure. I mean, we've, uh, you know, like everybody, saw, saw how frightening this uh, pandemic could be. Um, but I think we're very lucky that the, the government here acted quite swiftly. Um, you know, masks were, were compulsory from, from the beginning. Um, and, and, you know, like everyone, lockdown was, was quite scary. But, but um, being, being on, an, on an island and being, being under lockdown, it's quite uh, beneficial, I guess, because no one can actually come in and... Uh, well, yeah, it was it was a bit scary at first, but uh, everybody followed the rules, and that, and that was a good thing. What was the support like from the government for the hospitality sector, and what sort of impact has this period of time had on your business? Um, look, the government's been fantastic here. They um, have subsidised uh, wage Singapore wages, not uh, expat wages, but for the Singapore workers, fifty um, percent was was given to us um, for the first four, well, up until this month, actually, uh, September. And they've just extended that through now at 30% till March. So it's been a, a big, big help. Um, that's, that's for sure, particularly in, you know, we're only a small place. We have 60 seats. 30% um, of those have, uh, have gone and during lockdown we were 60% down on revenue. Um, they've, all, they've also, um, they made, uh, and they changed the laws so you couldn't be evicted. So I just didn't pay my rent. I didn't hear from my landlord for the whole time. <laughs> but that's, that's partially because my landlord is actually tied to the German government so so you know they're they've got their own problems to deal with but in the end they came back and said okay you don't have to pay for the four months but it was nice to know that you couldn't be evicted that's for sure um, they've, they, they, the, the Singapore government has been fantastic in in, in supporting the people here um, it was a bit frightening at first though my mum was here uh, staying with me. And I wanted to keep her here, but couldn't couldn't get her uh, visa renewed. So you know, trying to get her back to Australia and dealing with 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 the lockdown and everything was quite stressful. But but I am thankful that 
you know, the support has been here from 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 the government in terms of small business. That's for sure. You mentioned uh, with the first lockdown, you lost sixty percent of trade. What was it, what was that lockdown like? But that 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 initial lockdown for us was quite quite uh, lengthy, and it it uh, at first it was you know terrifying because you thought oh you know shit here goes the business. Um, but we were we were able to to adapt, and, and like many of the the people on on this podcast, you know, you have your 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 few minutes of, of tears, etc., and then you just try and get on with it the best you can. But I think it was quite it was quite refreshing actually to make you make me particularly and and my team look look inwards and take a good long look at ourselves. And how we how we operate and what what we could do to improve, and and that's been quite beneficial. What are some of the things that you've changed or have looked to change after having the time to reflect? Um, we the first thing we did was change our operating hours. We used to be a seven day a week um, operation, um, but that was always difficult because you needed quite a few uh, a lot of part time staff. Um, and and quite a lot more full time stuff, but we we decided we would go to a five day operation. We we always brunch Sunday brunch was always our busiest day, and we always wanted to do Sunday dinners, but we always made excuses. Oh, it's the end of the week. We're too you know we're too busy. All this sort of thing, and so we decided we'd start doing dinners all the way through from when you know we basically changed our operating hours as well from nine till nine so five days a week nine till nine now um, everybody works longer hours on three days a week um, and it's it, it's harder that way but at least everybody gets a rest so that that was the first thing we decided on and then we 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 adjusted our menu accordingly, so that um, we took off anything that we didn't think was um, takeaway or delivery appropriate. Um, and and then my my head chef and part, business partner Max, he's German, and and he came up with a, a chat a WhatsApp chat group with the German community, including the, the Consular General of, of Germany. And through that, he did twice a week, he did a houseman's cost, which is basically a, a German German dinner. And, and that proved very successful for us and brought a lot of new clientele as well through, through that. So they, they were the major changes for us. Will these changes be ongoing beyond COVID? Yes, we, we've we we um, well before before COVID, I was very anti delivery platforms, but now I'm very thankful for them. <laughs> um, that's for sure. <laughs> no choice. Um, uh, and Max has continued to. I think it's every couple of weeks now. We we he does he does a German dish and blast it out and people can eat it at the restaurant or they can have it delivered or, or come and pick it up. Um, so we still have a lot of regulars that that come in and bring bring all their own um, takeaway containers and uh, and pick pick up his his meal every couple of weeks, as they do with our normal menu as well. 
You mentioned that there's still uh, tough restrictions there. There's a bit of unrest in Australia at the moment, with the particularly in Melbourne, with the restrictions that are in place and the hospitality industry is getting quite vocal about wanting to open up again. What's it like in Singapore with the industry and society? What's the general sense there? I mean, I, th- I think everybody here... Is, look, there, um, there are those... Uh, and I don't actually agree with the protesting. I think this is a, you know, a very dangerous virus and people don't understand quite how it how it bad it is and and the only the only way to to conquer it is to you know it's to be uh, responsible and comply to to whatever rules the governments are setting right and and there, there, there are those here in Singapore that also are not happy about it but generally with the support the government has given us here most people in the hospital well, everyone I know in the hospitality industry is very thankful and you know we're just we're just happy that we we're open again. I know it's difficult for some because we have a a, a rule about no alcohol on the table after ten thirty, so that affects a lot of bars and and restaurants, and they and they enforce that very strictly. Um, we we have what they call social ambassadors who roam around Singapore checking venues. Well, I mean, I we get checked twice a day, basically, for you know social distancing. Wearing a mask is compulsory for all hospitality staff. There's um, that one; they're very, very heavily strict on. Um, at at first, I didn't didn't like the idea at all, but gotten used to it. Um, it can be a funny talking point at times as well. It's a bit hard to understand customers when everybody's wearing a mask. So, it, yeah, but and and the social distancing, we 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 were very, I was very strict on that from from right from the get go, and and we arranged our tables and seats um, according to the one meter spacing of seated customers. So that's the way it works works here, and and some people don't want to listen. Most most people are good. I've had to speak sternly to a few people, throwing one customer out of the restaurant. Wow. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna if you're not gonna listen and you're gonna be rude to my staff, then I, I just there's the door. Don't let it hit you on the way out. <laughs> How did you end up in Singapore running a restaurant and owning a restaurant? Um, well, my, my, my wife at the time, I, she was a corporate high flyer and, and I went round the world with, with her, basically. I first came here in 92, then went on to London, Hong Kong and back to here. Um, and then she, she went back on to Australia and I stayed here and set up the business. Uh, it was all, by, all a bit by accident, really. <clears throat> I, I had uh, been a stay-at-home dad for many years um, and got back into cooking only when I came here nine years ago in Singapore and worked for one of one of the suppliers. He had a, a, a deli restaurant and I, I was head chef there and, and uh, after, after that, Real, realizing that that wasn't uh, what I wanted to do, I, I, this 
through a friend, this uh, space came up and he, he asked me to join and so I dived head first in. There were four partners in the beginning, now there's one. <laughs> That's a whole other story. <laughs> Can you tell us a bit about the restaurant and, uh, and what the offering is? Yeah, so when when I when uh, I was actually looking to do something before local came along, and I was starting to do a lot of um, experiment R and Ding at home, um, you know, started making yogurt ricotta, um, smoking stuff, you know, doing doing pig's head terrines and stuff like like this here, and I I realised that there was a lot of quite good coffee in Singapore. But the food offerings in places were quite shocking, actually. So when local came along, I, I decided, okay, I want to up the the quality of the food in what was known as a cafe back then. But I, I quickly realised over the years that calling yourself a cafe here pigeonholes you too much. So we sort of try and drop that moniker, and we're now a restaurant, bar, cafe, everything. So. I just wanted to be fresh, fast and affordable. I mean, produce is um, expensive here. Uh, you, you, you don't have access to uh, locally, locally grown produce. Everything comes into the island. Um, so you have to, you know, to keep our costs down, we have to, to um, uh, find ways of using local, local produce instead of imported stuff. Um, try and try and find the cheaper things that we can and do something good with them. So, and it, it's I suppose we we cater to everyone. We we make a lot of stuff in house, as I was saying. Our ricotta, yogurt, our butter, jams, our local kaya. We smoke our own fish in house. So we 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 sort of cover a broad spectrum. Um, Max, I, I cover the early shifts. Max, uh, so I'm I'm the breakfast person, and then Max comes in with his. We've got a couple of couple of local boys that work in the kitchen with us, and Max does the dinners, and he steps it up a, a notch from sort of what's just healthy cafe food, I suppose, in in Australia terms. Um, and and the word local, uh, when I was looking to to name it. Because the uh, Goethe Institute is our landlord, I wanted a German word around food, but that's not an easy task at all. And then I discovered that local and local meant the same thing in both languages, but in Germany it also means a casual eating house. So that was a sort of no-brainer for the, for the name. You mentioned that it's difficult getting access to quality produce and a lot of it has to come from overseas. Have you had difficulties during COVID to get... Good produce? Uh, no, they've they've uh, the government made sure that all all um, avenues for for food coming in were taken care of. We we like everywhere had that sort of moment of madness in the supermarkets to begin with, where toilet paper vanished off the shelves and all that all that sort of thing. But the government, you know, and and actually the with the government has has almost had a daily address. To the people here, um, to to let them know that that there's fake news flying around. This is what we have. This is what we can do. How did you end up in the industry? Um, I 
finished my HSC um, in 1981 and basically my old man said get a job or, or start paying rent and I'd uh, in, interviewed with, uh, I'd gone to Sydney uh, before my HSC and interviewed with Johnny Walker's Angus Steakhouse which used to be in Bly Street in the city um, and I got a I got a apprenticeship there so I literally got the yes on a Thursday was on a train from I, I grew up in Albury Wodonga and and was in Sydney by the Monday starting a, an apprenticeship um, re realized very very quickly that that uh, yeah cooking cooking was something I really enjoyed and, and I think it was hospitality was something you know being in restaurants was was you know so cool and so much fun um, and then yeah from from there I I got out for a little while after my apprenticeship because I got I, I tried to do hotel uh, catering and management but they wouldn't uh, credit me the cooking uh, modules for it so I got a bit pissed off and said okay maybe I'll but after a year I went back and or and I, I, I think first first job back in was working for Peter Rowland's catering. I was taking dishwashing jobs and stuff like that, or, or I was anything. And then the Powerhouse Museum was opening up, and there were a couple of gun uh, chefs like uh, Neil Perry um, doing helping with the catering and. I was thrown in with these two guys, John Sussman and Andy Davies, and they said, "I oh, yeah, let's let's get this young young buck some some grief." And they they said, "Okay, you're chiffonading 25 boxes of lettuce." And and so I did it, and then they gave me five boxes of cooked prawns to peel, and I did that, and they went, "Oh, this guy's all right. Let's take him out for a beer in a game of pool." And so that was that was my that was how I met Sussman, and that was a big. And then later I worked for Andy at Streetons for three years, um, which was you know one of the one of the best places I've ever worked, and one of the best teams I've ever worked with. Um, and then I then I briefly worked for Tetsuya when it was just Tets and myself in the kitchen at Roselle in the old Roselle, the four renovations. Wow! So there's not too many chefs that can say they just had. Tets in the kitchen with them, um, and then and then uh, uh, after he renovated, I left because I was moving to Singapore, and I, I worked for John at Flying Squid Brothers for delivering seafood for a while, and then moved to Singapore, and then it's been Singapore, uh, London, London. I worked for Sir Terence Conran for John Tarode, who at Metso, who was John's the face of MasterChef these days. And I, I was a head chef for him at, uh, at Mezzanine, actually, which was upstairs at Mezzo, and it was the first big Asian noodle bar um, in, in London. It was a massive restaurant. We had 400 seats upstairs, 600 downstairs, 1,000 staff, 120 chefs. So it was, yeah, it was in, insane. And then, uh, and then, yeah, on to, I came back to Australia briefly, uh, ran Awaba Cafe down at Balmoral for a year and then moved to Hong Kong. Um, all, all the time following my, my wife around who, who uh, worked for the uh, News Corporation Group. And uh, then, then 
uh, in Hong Kong, I worked for Cafe Deco Group briefly and and then on to on to Singapore and in in uh, most of that time was as a, as a stay-at-home dad what was the early times like working with uh, Neil Perry, Perry and Andy Davies and the uh, illustrious John Sussman oh <laughs> well I, I actually was lucky enough to but after Blue Water Grill, Neil consulted for Simon Johnson at his restaurant called the Chelsea in King's Cross, and and uh, Simon was very, a very different Simon back then, uh, and uh, that was that was that was when I first uh, worked for Neil, and and that was that was a lot of lot of fun because I I loved Blue Water Grill and loved his cooking. Um, and and all, all you know, he went on to do rock pool after that, and that was fantastic. Um, and now now he's an absolute dead set legend of the industry in Australia. Um, working working for working for Andy was was Streetons was just such an amazing restaurant at its uh, you know in its heyday with the Rogues night nightclub downstairs. Um, Peter Simpson, Stan Saris at the at the helm, and. Uh, uh, John Pegram, you know, uh, Rod, Rod Cox running the front of house as well. It was, a, it was an incredible team and I, I learned so much from Andy in terms of running a kitchen and, and running a kitchen with, without any anger. It, it was always fun and jovial with, with Andy, which, which uh, I tried to take as much as I could away from that experience. But, and Sussman, you know, I've some, somehow we always seem to catch up all, all around the world and, and uh, uh, you know, um, well, a, a, actually listening to John's podcast and, and his Waiter of the Year Award, the first time I met John, I think he served me at, oh, I forget which restaurant it was now, but but, but that was... Even before he started flying squid, when he was still waiting tables, best waiter in the world in those days. <laughs> <laughs> He'll appreciate you saying that, no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> How much of restaurants changed since those days for you? Oh, um, quite a lot, actually. Um, I think I think in in my day there was still it was still quite uh, very male dominated testosterone type kitchens and and you know i've had every everything in the kitchen thrown at me i think in at some point around particularly in london that was that was, yeah uh, you, you learn to duck and weave very quick and, and make sure you're um uh, you know, you get the job done. I can remember doing a, a trial for Mark, at Marco Pierre White's canteen um, one day and having these two sous chefs that were at least 10 years younger than me <laughs> stand over me just like calling me every name under the sun because I was Aussie, right, just to see whether I could take it. And, and at the end of the day, it's like, okay, you want the job? Uh, no, fuck off. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, today, today, you know, we're particularly, you know, so many open kitchens, and I think that has changed 
uh, a lot of the culture within the kitchens that you you have to deal with the public more. Nothing can be hidden. Your hygiene standards are better. It, it, it's communication skills are better. Um, you know, you have, have restaurant groups with actual HR um, people these days. So, so, and social media, of course, has changed everything um, for, for, for the good and, and for the bad. But, but uh, yeah, very, very different from, from those days. Some, some, there are days when I'd like to go back to those days, <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, so, but, yeah. Well, you're in Singapore now. It's a city that caters for all levels of food from high end to the hawker centres. How how has the Singaporean hospitality industry adapted overall to the pandemic? I think I think um, most have, have a lot have closed their doors. I mean, uh, there have been many that have just got no. This is even with the government support, it's just too difficult. But most most have uh, adapted very well. Um, the, the general public, I, I guess, like in Australia, have come out particularly and, and been willing to spend money um, to support uh, all, all levels of restaurant. But, but uh, the, I, I mean, I know that Dave at Burn End, like, did very well through, through lockdown and stuff, got, you know, through deliveries and, and getting a whole bunch of new customers. Um, and it, I... I actually thought of some of the the higher end restaurants might might be the first to go but then once once we knew we were able to uh, not pay not pay rent um, and had some support they they seemed to to have weathered the storm quite well actually because they're they I mean we've lost a lot of staff and it's very hard to find staff now everybody's advertising but with no foreign workers it, it's uh, very difficult because the Singapore workforce is not that big so we're, we're I know they're in talks now to try and work out how you can get uh, the the border open to Malaysia because a lot of a lot of the workers are from Malaysia um, I, I lost two of my boys um, one on his own accord, and the other one it was just time to to part ways. But but uh, that you know, otherwise I would have been having to uh, pay uh, levies for those workers as as well as as pay them, and and we just couldn't afford to do to do both. Um, and at least the you know everybody's getting that subsidy from the government, which is. Has meant that most most places can operate, um, and and July. Look, we we opened up again in July. July was was good. August was not bad. September, we've had more rain than I've ever seen before. So it's it's a bit. We'll see how it goes. I think I think it's getting, the month is going to be all right. And I, I, you know, so far I don't. I three months back in, I don't hear anybody really complaining in the industry. So I think everybody is just, you know, happy to be back operating. Um, and we're just sort of waiting, like, when when can that 10.30 rule, you know, be extended? When can we... we we're still only allowed five, maximum five people in a group. Um, but, but, you know, talking to people, they don't think it will be 
you know, most likely not this year. So we, you know, we have to just, everybody just has to comply and, and get on with it. And um, yeah, life, life in the gilded cage is not so bad. As you mentioned, the hospitality sector there is very reliant on international workers. And there's also been a lot of restaurants open in Singapore in the last decade with expat uh, chefs and a huge expat community. Um, what is the scene there like? What's the food of Singapore like? And where do you like to eat when you go out? Oh, I'm, I'm, I, I try and support all, all my fellow Australian chefs in the, in the industry um, as much as possible. Uh, Burn Ends by far is probably my, my second home. Uh, well, or, yeah, second home because I probably spend more time there than I do in my own home. Uh, away from local, um, what I think what Dave does there, the simplicity of it is is fantastic. What um, what uh, Rishi does at Cheek, um, you know, you have J Jason Jones doing the the loco group. Um, yeah, there's we're a very close, tight knit community amongst the Aussie chefs. But then I, I love the hawker centres. I, lo I, I love eating the local food. Um, be it Malay, Chinese, or Indian, it's it's that's one of that's one of the fabulous things about being here. Um, and then and then you know there are the there's a quite a broad spectrum of uh, 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 places you know from the very high end you know as I said down to the hawker. Um, and I, I I try and get round most of them. Um, that probably probably a few too many French restaurants here. I think. <laughs> um, yeah, and and it'll be. I mean, there. Are, it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, come come March when the when the government subsidies run out. Whether there will be a, uh, further closures, um, but I hope not because you know I I. I I, I want the industry to, you know, I love love going out and seeing what people are doing and trying new stuff and um, trying trying to support everybody. And um, you know, with the neighbourhood where where local is, we we it's very much a, a, food, a hospitality sort of area. A um, lot of bars, a lot of restaurants, all through there. We you know we've even got Shake Shack has moved into the neighbourhood. Uh, now, um, which which it, it's been fun watching the the social distancing on the queue, which just makes the queue ten times longer. Uh, it goes around the block. Um, we you know a lot of uh, very good Japanese here as well. Um, it's not a, I, I you know it's been a long time since I I spent any time back in Australia, but but uh, I think I think it's just as diverse in Australia now as, as here, probably. How do you feel about Australia at the moment and being so um, far away in Singapore and with family here? Has this time affected you? Um, yeah, well, actually, my family is, is sort of spread all over. With mum back safely in North Queensland, that's, that was my main concern. Um, my two daughters are in New York. Uh, one's working and one's just just moved there to start college, 
So that's like, but that's that's a huge concern because you 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 know we can't leave here and um, you know you so you worry on on that sense, um, but but I see that you know Australia has actually done quite well. I think they probably should have enforced masks much earlier, and it might have been even better. Um, but but uh, you know when I look at the states that have done uh, well, and I see people, you know, going about their normal lives. I'm very jealous. That's <laughs> why I'd, I'd like nothing better than to get in the car and drive for a couple of hundred miles. <laughs> so, go to a beach. It's, it's uh, yeah, it's all all a bit Groundhog Day sort of thing here at the moment. Um, which I, you know, I'm thankful that we're safe and it, and it's going going well and still still open, but yeah. To, but at the same time, when I see the like the protests in Melbourne, I don't I don't understand. Yes, I I can understand the the economic, particularly from a business um, perspective, it's it's terrible. But you got you know the way things are, you've just got to wait it out. You've just you know, and if if you're meant to close, you're meant to close. Um, you know, and on the on the other side of this will come opportunity, and and yeah, you may need to stay on JobKeeper and be unemployed for a while, but there will be work out there eventually. When we do get to the other side of this, and there is work out there, and the industry's chugging along again as it does, how how are you going to look back at this period of time? Oh, um, it, it you know, I suppose I'm going to one day relate it to my grandchildren um you know like like stories i've heard about about you know the the great depression and you know the world war and and, and stuff like that so it'll be it'll just be a part of history we, we got through it we did it um and and you know it just you adapt and survive and then whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger sort of thing so, well, as we do open up, what are you most looking forward to over there in Singapore? Getting off the island. <laughs> <laughs> getting, on, getting on a plane and going to, to Phuket or, or, or um, you know, I, I, actually I was talking to a good mate of mine, Jake Kelly, who's, who's now down at the Lee Street Wine Room in Adelaide. And I said, well, I'm thinking South Australia might, might, might be high on the cards as soon as we can travel, <laughs> I'd like, I'd like, you know, I'd love to. I've never been over to Western Australia and and you know, watch, watching what Colin Wood is doing with cheese and stuff over there. I, you know, I would love to go and 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 do a drive around Western Australia. So, yeah, I mean, but but you know, when when that will be, uh, when we will be able to do that, I'm not sure. But that that. Those those would be high on my list, you know. Getting back to Hong Kong, getting back to Bangkok, eating eating food that I uh, all all around this region that I miss. Um, but but I think most like just to spend a few days sitting on a beach doing nothing would be uh, just bliss at the moment. That's for sure. Well, I think a lot of people will echo those sentiments, at Darren. Really enjoyed having you on Deep in the Weeds today. Uh, keep in touch. And, mate, thank uh, you very much. We'll talk again soon. For sure. Thank you very much, mate. Stay safe. 
This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's hospo community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.